1: Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets Podcast. Aaron Portzine here from Glendale, Arizona, joined by Allison Lucan here in Glendale, Arizona. Hello. And Tom Reed holding the fort uh, back home in Ohio. They're not quite Columbus. Tom, how are you? Where are you?
2: I'm in Warren, Ohio, my hometown. Uh, the womb, as I like to refer to it sometimes. I'm going to be tweeting pictures all day from my lovely hometown.
1: You've had some coffee, I see.
2: No, I was just thrown out of the house that I was in, so I've been up and <laughs> moving for a while. I'm ready to go. Uh,
3: Tom awesome. Reed, ladies and gentlemen. Tom Reed.
1: Yes.
2: Uh, Blue Jacket's sort
1: of riding the ship. They've got a couple of wins to start this road trip now. Um, not, I don't think wins that they would frame and say this is who we are and who we can be necessarily, but... They've played, I think, more confident hockey at times than they were certainly before they headed out on the road. So a five-game losing streak has been left behind. They beat uh, Colorado in Denver. They beat Arizona last night 4-2 to at the Gila River Arena. Um, so the trip's off to a nice start. I feel like they're playing better. There was a quite interesting wrinkle last night uh, the third period reaches its midpoint, and, and you start to say, well, this is kind of weird. I don't see the number one line, Panarin, Dubois, Atkinson. One of those guys is missing, you go, oh, boy, maybe someone's got a an injury or a, a ding or something. The whole line's sitting there on the bench, uh, getting the Bjorkstrand-Dubois-Wenberg treatment, if you will. Um, and as they sit, the Boone-Jenner line starts to play a lot. And they start to chase that Jenner line with Wenberg's line, with Luke with uh, Riley Nash's fourth line, and they pull away. They they get a four two win. Boone Jenner scores midway through the third, and the Blue Jackets pull away. And it was performance related. We made clear to ask John Tortorella just that after the game. And here is the uh, the the four two win despite not riding the guys who normally would be counted on for pushing the 3-2 lead to 4-2. Um, Allison, you were here last night watching the game. How how intrig- I don't think it's a big deal. I don't think it's a, the beginning of a, of a storyline or a controversy, certainly. I think it's actually a really good sign, but it sure was interesting to watch this team play and not, for the rare time, rely on uh, that top line anchored by Dubois Air.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, it was it was funny. It wasn't until they're late in the third. We were all kind of like, uh, are, where are they <laughs> out on the ice? Um, and in fact, you know, we, we wondered if maybe even it was just, you know, give those guys a break. They've been carrying the load for so long. And, and you know, right. we talked to Cam first, and he was the first one to say, yeah, no, <laughs> it was performance related. But, you know, I, again, I don't think it's a big deal. I think it's it's really positive that the other lines could step up. And I mean, a lot of times I talk about the how of how they played and there were good things there, but I think honestly, in this case, even more importantly that the other lines were scoring, right. And seeing that in and allowing the first line to have an off night. And, and, you know, there might even be a twinge of it's good for this entire team to see that, Torts' accountability does run all the way up to the top of the lineup sheet, right? And that yep. if you're not playing well, you're going to sit. And so I think on a couple levels, it was really a really positive thing in the context of having a solid top to bottom team.
2: I don't know if uh, I know. Yeah, he'll, after seeing that last night, I don't know if Artemi Panarin's going to want to resign here, here.
1: Oh no! Here we James go. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah they, they 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 played well. The lines played well. Um uh you can't say enough about Jenner. I mean, they were 0-3. As I was trying to say at the end of the last podcast when I was just fucking cut off, they were 0-3 without Jenner in the lineup. He comes back, they've got two wins. He was terrific last night. But the line that's the most intriguing to me right now is the Wenberg, uh, Bjorkstrand, and um
3: Duke uh, Duke Claire. Claire
2: line. That was a line I, I don't think you were at the game, uh uh Porty. Me and Allison were sitting there. And I can remember in late November, uh, towards saying, "I can't play these guys together. I can't, I can't play them together as a line." Well, they look pretty good, and uh, Bjorkstrand's been terrific. Uh, so I think it was more that those guys were going well. Let's be honest. If that game had gone to overtime, we know the two forwards that were going to go out first.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, um, it's funny because we we came out of the Denver, the uh, game in Denver, saying how, how impressive that. Wenberg it, it looks like he's warming a bit. I don't think he's he's looked like his old self just yet, but he was involved. He scored a huge power play goal in Denver. Good sign. Uh, Duclair had some cr- six shots on goal. He's been noticeable lately, um, starting to break through a little bit. But the one guy on that line that's been really really good is is Oliver Bjorkstrand, and he has he has played I think at the level that they were hoping he'd be at at the start of the season. But I asked uh, Tortorelli yesterday, "Did you have those three guys together on the line because it's easier as a coach to... Like, if they're not going, then you just take a line out. You're not mixing everything, scrambling everything up because you know he likes the other lines. Um, and no, he, he I, I think to your point, Tom, he does feel like he can play those guys together now because Wenberg is... Wenberg is still, even though he's, he's he's been invisible on the score sheet, he still does a lot of things in terms of stabilizing yes, does. and allowing a line to play together. He's yeah, still yeah. a vital player in the lineup. Uh, and Bjorkstrand's really, really elevated. I think, and he acknowledged this yesterday, he has seen things from Dubois that, that he, that not perfect games, certainly. There's no such thing. But an engaged player. Where if mistakes are made, it's not because the player's not really going. It's it's just a mistake in the process of the game, and they're going to muddle through some things. If they can reach a point where they're getting offense out of that line, that is a really good sign um, as, as they as they keep going along here.
2: Well, <laughs> you always said as yes, we go through here. As we go um, through. Uh, I think, yeah, I agree with everything you said. Of course, the only caveat, and I was joking earlier about Panarin wanting to leave, but if they do trade him, I think, and, and if there were no other deals made, now we'd have to think they would, they would go after a winger, especially if they're pushing as they are right now uh, to be right in the thick of things, the playoffs. Uh, to me, Bjorkstrand might be the first candidate to go up there and play with the top line, yeah. to, to play with Dubois and to play with uh, Atkinson. He's played so well, and it's and it's not just the last couple games. It's been a it's been a little while here now. It's yeah. uh, and it, it is really good sign to see. Uh, I still think he needs a lot of space to get shots off, but I just see him doing a lot of lot of little things that I, I wasn't noticing maybe earlier in the year. Maybe I wasn't looking hard enough, or maybe he's it's just more visible. I don't know what Allison thinks about that.
1: Yeah, I was just gonna kick it to Allison. That's uh, people aren't gonna like are gonna like this line of of. Uh... Conversation, but if Panarin isn't here and, and there's not an immediate replacement for him, we suspect there would be. Who do you think on this on this team right now makes the most sense to move up and dance with Dubois and Atkinson?
3: Mm, it's it's tricky, you know. I think it might be comfort bias that I my mind goes does go to Anderson, um, because that's a trio that's played together before. I also wonder when Panarin isn't on that line, if you're going to need someone who has a bit of physicality to them to help continue to try and create the space that Dubois and Atkinson have enjoyed um, previously. But I don't think it's completely out of question that Tortorella would look to a Bjorkstrand, see what happens there, and then maybe go to Anderson if it doesn't work. But I think he's, of late, he's shown he might be able to fit up there. And if the identity of that top. Looking at a Bjorkstrand taking the spot.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I had a long chat with, with uh, Bjorky yesterday about this and talked to Felina about it too. Cause I do think it's, it's a, uh, a challenge for any young player. They come into the league and Bjorkstrand fits this where you are, It's sort of in a a role where everything you do is a bonus. Um, Any offense you give the team is a bonus. In other words, they're not leaning on you to to change games and to score Uh, with regularity. You're still finding your way in the league. But then there's that transition phase, and it gets here pretty quickly for guys, where you are now expected to push and maybe push guys out of jobs to not be the, the um, appetizer, but to be the main course some nights. And you look at, at at situations around the league, not comparing the players, but just the situations. Braden Point in Tampa Bay two years ago comes in, and everything's a bonus, and everything he gives you is wonderful. Well, now he's one of the guys there. Uh, Kyle Connor in Winnipeg. Um, last year, not a ton expected of him. Everything, is, I mean, I, I think they thought he was a hell of a player, but – they weren't banking on him to drive their offense every night, and now they are. A year later, they are, and I, I, that's that is so important for every team. It's a it can be a difficult process for the player being bounced, um, but it's what every team needs to excel. And it's it's I, we've mentioned this before. I think that's what's been missing here in terms of the Blue Jackets. Look like they're elevating, uh, looking like they're elevating their play. They need Bjorkstrand to push and push and push. And maybe make it more difficult uh, for players above him—Fellino, um, Anderson, Atkinson—to um, be comfortable in their jobs because he's he's becoming a difference-making player. Now, where he's at right now needs to be the baseline, and he needs to elevate from there. That's going to be the hard part, of course. But he, you know, every year we sort of get teased by the maestro. Um, Tom, do you? Do you think it's here to stay in this case, or is it is this still fleeting?
2: I, I think it's still fleeting, but that doesn't mean it can't be. Uh, I, I'm yeah. Again, one or two weeks does not make uh, does not say he's arrived. But it's again, it's better than what the conversations we were having about uh, him in in the past, where gosh, he just needs so much room to get off a shot. What I like again, he, I like the fact that he's scoring goals, obviously. I just find his see. I see him. He's more noticeable in games. A couple of games ago, um, you know, not not just the wraparound goal, but he had a play where in Colorado where he stole a puck and then tried to make this pass from off using the net as like a player a bank pass off the net, which was fantastic. I've yeah. never seen that bit of skill from him. It was just all everything defense to offense to just engage. I think there was a play. At one point in that game, where he got so so in on the blue that he got shoved out of the play, and that's not okay. normally where you see Oliver Bjorkstrand. And the other, you know, the other game, I'll go back to him. Um, the Wenberg, when Wenberg made that ill-advised pass, uh, uh, what was the last game in the, the losing streak? St. Um, St. Louis, uh, St. Louis, St. Louis. But it was Bjork. He was throwing it to Bjorkstrand, who was going hard to the net. And right. those are the kind of things that coaches, staff, coaching staffs really notice. And I think that that's, that's all good signs. So I'm not ready to say he's there yet. <laughs> I guess if I'm saying he can play in the first line, I'm saying something about him if Panarin leaves. But I just like the way he's playing right now.
1: Yeah, well, he made that move in, in Colorado, the goal, the, the wraparound. Oh. And you, you watch the, watch it again, and if you do, notice the sort of the little little jerk move it tells uh, Varla or Grubauer he might be shooting at the at the near post. He could snap one off right there. That buys him about a tenth of a second for that wraparound, which which was lightning quick. Um, but I don't know that he makes that move a month ago, Allison. He may just snap one off at the near post and and accept that he had a shot on goal. If you know what I'm saying, there's confidence there that, that hasn't been present previously.
3: Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it was it was almost funny i mean good for the player i'm not making a joke about how he's playing but it was funny that he went for the wraparound last night again too yeah <laughs> he, damn your god exactly and you know like you're saying i think it, it speaks to him trying to try new things doing new things tom that was a great point i mean this is a line that previously we were saying you know couldn't play on the four check, couldn't get the pucks in. And there's Oliver Bjorkstrand set up right in front of the net for, for possibly a Wenberg assist. So there is a different look to how he's playing right now, for sure.
1: Yeah. And I think we can talk in a similar tone about the blue jackets power play, um, which has, you may have heard uh, (laughs) has been a sore point um, all season and last. Um, and they are now four four ten in the Martin St. Louis era, if you will, um, and and not firing on all cylinders. But again, really good sign that the it was the second unit that scored again last night. That's two games in a row that it's been the second unit um, chipping in. I you get a feeling with that group that I don't know that the full confidence is there yet. Like it's been, we've seen in the past where they come over the boards expecting to score, but you get a feel now, at least I do that when they're on that unit, the, the sense is, well, this is going to be fun. Like, I'm not sure if, if there's going to be a goal coming out of this, but this is going to be fun because they're starting to, they're starting to handle it like a power play. And it truly does feel like a man advantage for them. Um, is that coming through to you as, as well? Tom, there's been a lot of different guys chipping in on that right now.
2: Yeah, the puck's moving quicker. It, it just it, To me, that's the the thing I noticed. They just seem to be moving the puck with more um, uh, with pace, but also with purpose. A lot of times we just saw them passing and passing. It just seemed aimless at times, yeah. what they were doing with the puck. Uh, guys are moving a little bit more, getting in positions where they can accept passes, um, and yeah, I, I yeah, and again, I, I think power play, like almost everything in sports, is confidence. But you just you 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 bring up a good point when they go over the boards now. It's like yeah, this 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 could be this could be potentially dangerous here. Yeah. So again, much like Bjorkstrand, uh, it's it's a good it's been a good little spell here. Let's see if it can continue, but. Certainly, it's nice to talk about it uh, performing performing this way than it was for the last year and a half.
1: Yeah, Tom, you mentioned their puck movement, and that's there as well. That, that's there. I, I noticed that for sure. I, I just noticed a lot more passion in their getting pucks back. Um, and I yeah, think retrieval. yeah, retrieval when they had that little uptick a little while ago earlier in the season, that was noticeable too. Um, Allison, is that jumping off the page to you? And, if, if, and even if it is, what else are you seeing on the power play that may suggest that it's warming, that the four for 10 is more than just a coincidence?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I think we probably covered most of it. I think the puck retrieval, just the overall possession, literal possession of the puck is, is stronger. Um, I really like the wrinkle on the entry. It's a, there, there's not that drop pass happening. They were particularly last night feeding it through cam on the right side. Um, yeah. which also moved the puck across the width of the ice on that entry, um, which makes your defense have to step up and figure out which way they're going to go. It gives you a little bit more space, so I like that. Um, and, and to me, the biggest thing that stands out is what Tom said. It's It is the speed and the confidence of the passing and thus the shooting. I said in our video last night, it was that shot that came off Seth Jones' stick, the pass that led to it, and the speed with which he released it. That is what I'm noticing the most right there.
2: Yeah. The poor guy can't buy a power play. Oh. He oh.
3: thought it was he thought it was his and, and then
2: it ends up all good of course. You know, the, you, I think one of the better power plays they had this year that didn't result in anything was the game in Winnipeg where the game was stopped for the guy getting remember he got hit in the back yeah. and the right, right. I mean that was one where Winnipeg literally their guys came to the bench after that stoppage just hunched over. I mean, they had the puck in the zone for so long that the Winnipeg players were completely worn out, and they were just moving it. Boom, boom, boom. So, uh, all good stuff.
1: Yeah. We never even got to say goodbye to the drop pass.
2: Oh. <laughs> all right. You guys the love pass. the drop pass. You two love the drop pass. No. Oh, God.
1: Oh, they dropped the it'll, drop pass.
2: It'll be back. Whoa. Maybe maybe, not. Maybe, maybe this is a Marty St. Louis wrinkle. Maybe.
1: Oh, well, maybe that. You're gonna ask
2: around. You're a reporter. You're allowed to ask questions.
1: <laughs> if he does nothing else, I hope Martin St. Louis came in on the first day and said, "Kill the goddamn drop pass. It's dead. It's gone." <laughs> Here's what we're doing. <laughs> uh, you gotta
2: ask about that one, Porty. I yeah. would not be happy if you don't ask if that if that was uh, why they're not drop having the drop pass anymore.
1: Well, he's not. Uh, he's done with the media. Oh Yeah,
2: I, I understand that, but you can ask other people about that.
1: Yeah. Stop talking to you guys. Um, Yeah, so uh, let's talk about this, because it it is uh, still the story that is keeping the Blue Jackets on the minds of teams around the league. Bob, Brad, what updates there, if any? Now, uh, Paul Theophanos was in Glendale yesterday. We're told he met with um, at least some part of the Blue Jackets front office. Apparat high, you one assumes Yarmo Kekalainen, who was on the trip. Um, when asked about whether he met with Paul Theophanus or not on Thursday, Yarmo Kekalainen said that's a direct quote. <laughs> um, he said, He said nothing. Um, understandably, these are high times for the Blue Jackets. Um, What do we know here? Uh, The talk, uh, I think a team that has has sort of entered the discussion as a possible landing spot for Panarin is the Nashville Predators. Um, Hey, look, David Poyle is not the David Poyle from five years ago. Uh, He made a couple of minor moves uh, this week to add forwards, Cody McLeod and Brian Boyle, but that certainly doesn't change uh, the Predators need for a high-end forward, and I think a lot of people believe they need an extra piece if they're going to get through Winnipeg. Um, so maybe Nashville comes to the fore. Uh, there have been reports from Pierre LeBrun, and this is com- this is a common part of the dance at this point. Uh, a little more than two weeks in the trade deadline, we're not doing anything until the price comes down, right? And you heard that from the you heard that from teams uh, just. I mean the the entire time the Rick Nash uh, was on the board, and this is similar in terms of the the size of the of the player. Um, I think Nashville makes a ton of sense. I think David Poyle is in go for it mode, and I think they would they they are he is selling his soul to win a Stanley Cup. I think there's a lot of people rooting for him to do so. Um, thoughts from either of you on Artemi Panarin? Uh, who may be going to Broadway, as in New York, but his first stop on the way there maybe is Broadway as
2: oh, in. boy, you put a lot of thought into that. No. I think I think it would be fantastic that if they could get a bidding war going with Winnipeg, because I think Winnipeg maybe may may uh, want to add. I think it would be great. And then you have the whole idea of if you're Winnipeg or one of the, there's only two or three contenders in the West. Right. It's it's I mean, and those teams, all those teams probably feel we've got a legitimate chance to make the Stanley Cup. We, we can get back to the final. Uh, the Golden Knights probably feel that way. Winnipeg probably feels that way. Maybe even San Jose feels that way. But if you could somehow get a little bit of a bidding war, not only we get him, but that team doesn't get him. Yeah. Right. That's right. where maybe Yarmouk. uh I think that makes the most sense him going to one of those contenders in the West now. You know, maybe he goes east, but I, I still don't. I don't get the east as much as the teams like that we've just mentioned. Yeah, um, there is an argument to be made here that
1: that. I mean, maybe the price goes up as you get near the trade deadline, but I think if you're Jarmo Kekalainen, is is the is there a benefit to doing this early? Not least because you're going to want to perhaps, I think, likely have a follow-up trade to give this team um, a significant piece to go forward with, like maybe a Duchesne. Um, you know, that that can't... If Duchesne gets traded, I, I, then Columbus is is uh, looking somewhere else. Maybe Braden Shen, maybe Broussard. Um, I, I think they want to make a splash as a buyer even if they are a seller. And that's why I've been thinking for a while. I don't know that this can wait until the 25th. Allison, you see the thinking there?
3: Oh, I I completely agree. I think that I am too in the camp that, honestly, even if neither of the big players is moved, they're going to add. And I think they're going to try and add offensively and defensively. And you're in a better spot to do that if you already know. Because I think they're going to ideally something that you get in return for either Bobrovsky or Panarin is going to help pay for what you bring in, right? Because this isn't a team with a ton of draft picks to play. This isn't a team with a ton of high-end prospects to move around, per se. So I think they need more in the bank account to buy. Um, And also, you know, I I think the longer you wait, you know, if if there are conversations that – Decide to be granted on, for either player to talk contracts. Maybe that's more likely for Bobrovsky than Panarin. That can't happen on deadline day, right? No. Like I, I did, or it just doesn't feel like it can effectively happen on deadline day. That's just my opinion.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I would I would totally agree with that. The thing that's sort of unfortunate is the Blue Jackets. You know, have made moves in recent years. A real recent, you know, last year or so, they let Matt Calvert go. Maybe, and I think they would have let Jack Johnson go anyways, but but Calvert for sure is a guy that, you know, it, for a team that thought they were going to re-sign Bobrovsky and Panarin, a guy like that has to become expendable. And, well, maybe if they knew they could, they weren't going to be able to keep Bobrovsky or Panarin, maybe they do keep a guy like man. I think they may have. Um, uh, yeah. Go ahead, Tom.
2: One guy... Uh, Aaron, you and I were talking about this guy yesterday, and I guess I was pushing it more than uh, you, and you were more listening. But a guy who may not cost you, you – some of the guys that you mentioned, like Duchesne, is definitely going to cost you what? If that's first-round pick?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure.
2: So maybe a guy who's really playing well right now, who's kind of got his game back together, uh, is Matt Zuccarella on a wing. If, if, so if Panarin – let's say Panarin leaves, yeah. and you're looking to replace – I mean, he is on fire right now. He's playing as well as he's played it all season – uh, that might not cost you a first-round pick. Then that's the other thing. To when you factor in the Panarin thing, is is our pe- team's going to play Stone and Simmons? You know, will we take one of these guys instead of meeting Yarmo's price? I don't know. But Zuccarello, I think, falls way into that next category. But is a good player who's really in form right now.
1: Yeah, and I think Broussard would be pretty cheap too if they're if they're looking to go. <coughs> um somewhere less than big time big game hunting, if you will. Yeah. Um, and you know, I don't know that much has changed with Bob. I um as Allison was saying earlier, I think the longer this goes, the the better chance that he stays here. Um it's just really weird to to add a goalie as a rental. It doesn't really happen very often. If you look around the league what team is really, really good but needs goaltending help? Uh, San Jose, but I don't know that they're ready to move away from from uh, Jones already. who uh, has got some years left on that. Um, and and should Bob end up being moved, you hear talk about Jonathan Quick, which I, I think you know that would certainly be an interesting, a big time ad. But Quick is at five point eight million dollars through twenty two twenty three which I'll grant you that's, that's a million and a half cheaper than Bob is right now, cost savings, but that is a long commitment and a big ticket um, for a guy that, that's, that's got some tread off the tires, if you will. The other thing, too, is the Blue Jackets have a host of, of uh, goaltending prospects. I think Albus Merzlikens would be at the top of the list, and I don't think they're expecting to wait until 22, 23 <coughs> to arrive. So it, are they making a, a really long-term commitment with the idea that this Merzlikens fellow could be their guy at some point next year? I don't think they turn it over to him immediately, sight unseen in the NHL. Um, but I, I, that's why I've been wondering if maybe they're not looking for a bridge number one there just as an insurance policy uh, to see if the kid is ready. And we'll be posting a story here later today. Um, you know, Merzlikens could be here. He could be here in by the middle of March, if his team doesn't make the playoffs in Lugano. Now that's not going to be enough time to know where he's at before the trade deadline, certainly. And again, I think it's risky business for any team to bank on him, um, without having seen him play in the NHL. I don't think anybody thinks he's not a good goaltender. He is, uh, but there's an adjustment period. This is going to be a really, really interesting uh, couple of months potentially with the Blue Jackets goaltending.
3: Yeah, for sure. And you know, as you said, it's it's not necessarily that they have the answer for who's next yet, but it's certainly not a position where they, in my opinion, they can tie up a lot of cash long term, because I just don't think that what's on the market is going to be the solution long term. It's got to be something short that they bring in. Because the answer is going to be elsewhere regardless.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the argument, of course, is you can quick has no has nothing on his contract that that uh, allows him to to um, block a trade, move anything. He's wide open in that respect. So you can always turn right back around and trade him. Um, But that boy, you're getting into some into some heavy deals there that maybe could be uh, avoided. Um, Sure. Lots of uh, lots of intrigue here. Um, anything else we need to get to there, Tom, there, Allison?
3: Um, I just wanted to mention real quick, we're doing another um, Ask Allison mailbag this coming week. So <laughs> if, people have, if people have questions, please uh, get those out to me on Twitter um, using the hashtag Ask Allison. And uh, if you can get those in by Tuesday morning, that'd be awesome. And we'll try and answer as many as we can.
1: Now, Allison, can Tom and I get in on that too? Because there are a lot of questions <laughs> we come up with over the course of the day, or can we just direct message? Um,
3: I will accept some from you, but Tom is going to have to get approval before he submits any questions.
1: I mm. wonder what happened there. <laughs> uh, Tom, anything we need to get to?
2: No, I think you, I think you've, we've covered everything. This was a, a, a meaty, to use your one of your favorite adjectives, a meaty podcast today.
1: It felt meaty. felt meaty. A little bit of salt. Um uh, Okay, well, listen, thanks for uh, listening to us. Check out the uh, athletic.com. Allison and I have a, a video up there from the post game last night. There's a, a lengthy story about how they won despite sitting the, the top line. All kinds of stuff uh, coming. It's going to be an interesting couple of weeks here. Thanks for listening to us, and we will talk to you on Tuesday.